Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And uh, it is uh, great to be back in the pulpit for this wonderful Transfiguration Sunday. Um, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, so I'm going to speak for about 45 minutes and uh, make up for some lost time. Just kidding. Uh, Now, while the world has no idea what this day is all about, because uh, there's no sales involved with the Transfiguration, there's no 50% off stereo sales or anything like that, the Transfiguration is a powerful event in the history of the Church and in the Scriptures. It's recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, and uh, it is also uh, remembered twice in the Church year, at the end of Epiphany and then today, kind of halfway through Ordinary Season. And the transfiguration is important because it's this mysterious event uh, in which Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. And there Jesus is transfigured, and he radiates his glory before their very eyes. And it's so bright that I would imagine that the only thing comparable to what they saw was staring directly into the sun. And there appears before them also Moses and Elijah. And if you know anything about the biblical record, at this point Moses and Elijah have been long, long dead. And there they are in Christ's transfiguration. They are reflecting his glory, much like the moon reflects the light off the sun. And they are standing alongside of Jesus speaking about something very important. Not what they're having for brunch, Uh, But uh, they're talking about, it says, his departure. Uh, The Greek word for that is the exodon. They're speaking of Jesus' exodus from Jerusalem by his death and resurrection. Currently at the Met, if you're interested in art, there's an exhibit by this Mexican Baroque artist from the 1600s named Cristobal de Villapado. And they're showing his most magnificent piece entitled Moses and the Brazen Serpent and the Transfiguration of Jesus. And what makes this piece of art so significant is that, um, um, is that Cristobal was influenced by the Bishop of Puebla at the time in the 1600s, who had been influenced by the Augustinians and the Jansenists. And so he connects these two powerful stories together into one piece of art. He shows in juxtaposition and articulates what the transfiguration is all about, what Jesus' exodus from Jerusalem is all about. Moses, the embodiment of the Torah, through whom Israel received the law, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, who was carried by God in a fiery chariot, find their purpose. They find their fulfillment in Jesus' exodus. They find their fulfillment and ultimate validity and meaning in his death and resurrection. And this is my first point. Moses was a great religious leader and teacher. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets uniquely honored by God. However, they point to and find their fulfillment. The entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, find their fulfillment in Jesus. God in the flesh come to die and rise to save the world. In fact, Jesus' departure brings validity to their ministry. Of all the things you should take home today from the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain, this is the most important. There is no one like Jesus. 
He is not some religious leader among the great religious leaders of the world. He's not some wise teacher among the wise teachers of this world. His glory is not that of the way most religions go, of man becoming God. Rather, his glory is that of God becoming man, coming under his own law to die for our sins and to rescue us from the clutches of death. And Luke tells us that as Moses and Elijah are leaving, St. Peter caught up in the moment says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love how Luke puts it here. It says, not knowing what he said. Another word for dwelling here in the Greek is tabernacle or sanctuary or a place of rest, a place where God dwells. And oftentimes we're heard that, and and it's true that he wanted to build three tabernacles, putting them on the same level. But there's also something more profound going on here. Peter sees the vision of Jesus, and he sees Moses and Elijah, and he does what many people want to do when they're caught up in a spiritual experience. He wants to preserve the moment. He wants to enshrine it. He wants to memorialize it. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to adore the transfigured Christ. If Jesus were to appear here right now completely transfigured, we'd probably all say, dang, or something else. We'd probably scream in terror. But anyway, like, whoa, my God. And, uh, but, but we'd want to remain in that moment forever. And the truth is, is that, is that the transfiguration kind of focuses, like, works as like the greatest movie preview ever. Because there is coming a time when we will be caught up in that glory for eternity with Moses and Elijah. The transfiguration is a temporary glory of that which shall come. However, you see, Peter wants to put up three sanctuaries. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and while, I, like I just said, you can't quote Moses and Elijah with Jesus because Jesus fulfills them, What Peter misunderstands in wanting to put three tabernacles up there is the need to build three tabernacles. This is my second point, and this is a very important one in understanding who Jesus is to you. Elijah and Moses maybe could have used a tabernacle. I know I can most days. A place of sanctuary, a place of rest, but not Jesus. And this is because Jesus is the tabernacle. And by his merit and by his blood, he has become your sanctuary from the storms of life. He has become your sanctuary, your tabernacle, from the fear, guilt, and shame that keep you up in the middle of the night. Jesus is the tabernacle, and by his merit and his blood alone, he has become our rest from our needs to strive and prove ourselves to the world and especially before God. As our tabernacle, he is our justification. Jesus' flesh, his humanity is the tabernacle, and he is our only justification before God. And that justification has been all given to you. Now, just in case there's any doubt of this, a cloud overshadows the three disciples, and it hides the glory of the transfiguration and most importantly, making this scene extremely terrifying. 
And from the cloud, though, and this terrifying scene, a comforting and clarifying voice is heard from heaven. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This echoes Jesus' baptism when the Father spoke clearly and the Spirit descended upon him. This is Jesus. Listen to him. He has the words of eternal life. His words are spirit and they are life. Listen to him, no one else. And then there was no one but Jesus. Just Jesus. The shining had stopped. Everything, the mystical experience was over. Just ordinary old Jesus. That's pretty amazing, but it was just ordinary old Jesus. And it says they told no one about this until the ultimate exodus, Jesus' departure uh, through the cross. However, how does this relate to us today? What does this mean for you? Where does the rubber hit the road in your life? How does this relate to a service of baptism and Holy Communion? Because we don't get a transfigured Jesus, do we? I mean, mark my words, and this is a gospel promise. As I said earlier, you're going to see a transfigured Jesus someday. But right now, you know, we don't get to stand in that glory. However, now, I mean, most of us won't ever have a mystical vision. There were only three of the twelve disciples who had a mystical vision. They were privileged to see the transfiguration. And so what does this mean for us now? Because right now, this glory is hidden. It's hidden in a, it was hidden from them in a cloud briefly. But it's hidden. Jesus is hidden. And so in this age, his power, his glory, it comes to us in weakness. It comes to us cloaked in weakness. It comes to us by way of the cross. His glory and his promises come to us delivered in water, in word and sacrament. This is the kind of Jesus we get. We get a word and sacrament, Jesus. And you may be sitting there in the congregation and saying, well, is that enough? You bet, because it's all you got. A baptismal Jesus where he gave you the promise of life and is about to give Penelope Rose that promise of new life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We get a forgiving Jesus when he is properly manifested in the preached word where you hear the gospel and the forgiveness of your sins instead of life lessons. You get a sacramental Jesus, a body and blood Jesus, when you stretch your arms out across this rail and receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. That's the Jesus we get here today. That is the gospel veiled, coming to us in ordinary means. That is the Jesus that says your sins are forgiven and that no matter what you do or where you go, he is with you and for you until the very ends of the age. That is the Jesus to listen to. That is the one by the power of the Holy Spirit who has come to assure you of your salvation. That's the Jesus we get. God's beloved, chosen son, sent to save you. Hear him and believe him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.